think any time that I've uh, preached on this passage before, it's been in the context of baptism. Either an actual baptism service, which I used it last September. I'm sure Sue will remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or I've used it in the preparation for baptism. But sometimes our minds run ahead. We may be frolic and bounce about in the field. And we jump to the end of the story. And we want to get to that bit about baptism. That bit about commitment. That bit where the thing happens. And we've missed all the casual grazing before we actually get there. We've missed the feeding that the rest of the passage has in mind for us. And so, as I take it out of a baptism context, I start wondering, uh, as I did a few weeks ago, uh, as I was reading the book of Acts, um, you know, what is it saying? It's saying something a bit more than simply somebody comes to believe and gets baptised. So maybe we need to think about um, what Philip's doing. Philip's become a bit of an evangelist. Before this passage, he's been in Samaria. He's been sharing the gospel there. He's been preaching to crowds. He's seen uh, folk come to faith. And he has healed people. He's cast out spirits. He's, he's sort of doing the Great Commission thing because he's gone to a land where the people are similar but yet a bit different. He started to take the gospel out of Jerusalem, out of Galilee, starting to push it a bit further to people that were not Jews but yet had an Abrahamic tradition people that knew the Torah the law but kind of shied away from the story of the prophets so in Samaria he's done preaching of a very particular style and then we come to this passage where he's in a completely different context everything's changed it's all turned around Here, it's different from what's gone before. He's not preaching to a great crowd, and that's kind of what's been going on so far in Acts. It's been preaching to a crowd. And maybe occasionally somebody coming close and saying, I need to be healed. Somebody at the city gate whom Peter might lay their hand upon in the name of Christ. This is a God-given time. It is a Kairos moment. It's a chance for something great to happen for the kingdom. One man travelling in his chariot, struggling with the word of the Lord, but going to be journeying quite a distance journeying physically 
but also spiritually. And God gives that moment to Philip. And I wonder, do you give thought as to when those moments might come for you? Do you pray for those opportunities? For you to have those times when there is an individual at work or maybe a neighbour Maybe just somebody at the bus stop or on the bus. Somebody that might just be on the edge and you get that opportunity to share something of your faith. We need to be thinking about how Philip takes that opportunity and where that person was and how they respond to. I'm sure we're all familiar with the concept of been there and got the t-shirt. We know that phrase. We go somewhere and we get something. Um, my uh, granny, when I was a child, used to collect teaspoons from different places that she'd been to. She didn't nick them out the hotel dining room. Not that kind of collecting teaspoons. It was, you know, the fancy teaspoons with the crest at the top that say something about the town or the country or what tourist attraction uh, was nearby. Uh, and she, she would display them uh, and it would uh, be there as a reminder. Other people might get a fridge magnet or a stick of rock or a t-shirt like Emmeline was wearing this morning from Spring Harvest. You know, she literally went there and got the t-shirt. Um, but if we go somewhere like Spring Harvest, we might come back with other things too. Um, music books or Bible study notes or CDs of Christian music or maybe even a new Bible. We've got a collection of Bibles that uh, came from different visits to Spring Harvest and other Christian events. The Ethiopian in our story has been to a festival. He's been to Jerusalem. He's journeying home And on the way back, he is reading a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And uh, this is a kind of, it's kind of a a time of change for scrolls. So I brought a couple of props with me. Right. When I got this, it had a map inside, an ordnance survey map, right? This is also an ordnance survey map. In fact, this is the same ordnance survey map as the one that was inside this, right? And if you're to see this, this is... um, Ordnance Survey, OS Select, Northampton for Keith's ordination. Emmeline got two maps 
printed at the time of my ordination. Um, one that was flat, only it wasn't flat, it was all rolled up in a tube, and one that was folded. And, and the center of this, the exact center of this map is my old man's. You know, boom. So I had that one on the wall in my study at the centre of the man, centre of the man's. Um, and actually, it's still in the. It's hanging up in the music room off my dining room next door still. Not much point having it in the study now. But you know, which is the more convenient? Do you think? Sometimes you want one that can be on the wall. A scroll that you can open up. Or sometimes you want something that you can have a bit more conveniently. Something that you can carry. And, of course, Shorten survey maps are in a concertina way. The first century, the time of this passage, is at the time when people started to fold paper or papyrus or the things. We're right on the cutting edge of Roman technology is to instead of rolling it all up you actually start folding it and then it went from being folded in a concertina to actually being in a book form. That was the next stage. poor guy in his chariot is using a scroll so you'll have to wind through it and it's a bit awkward and it'll bump along as he goes and he's getting bumped along not just by the chariot bouncing on the road but he's getting bounced along by the text because as he tries to read it, and if you've tried to read in a car, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And he's trying to concentrate hard on what it's saying. And it's not making much sense to him. He wants to read it. He wants to discover more of God. He wants to comprehend it. That only happens, we only understand the word when we actually play with it and read it and try and go back through it again. Now, we can't say for sure, because it doesn't tell us, that he's just bought this, that this is his memento from visiting Jerusalem. But it's kind of implied in the text. And as mementos go, it's an expensive item. You know, a scroll of Isaiah would not have come cheap. And it would have taken months to produce. For somebody to to look at another scroll and copy each character onto the new scroll and he's not carrying it by dint of his occupation he's not a priest 
He's somebody that handles finances normally in the country of Ethiopia. But he is a wealthy, faithful person. And that that he could afford such an item is shown in a number of ways. Not only in specifying his occupation, but the fact that he's in this chariot. He's in this carriage on the road. He's not walking. He's not on the back of a donkey. He's got a chariot. And we also see that he's been allowed this time away from his homeland to practice his faith by going on a pilgrimage. He must be really valued back home to journey from Africa up through, spend some time at the festival and then head back. For them to invest that kind of sabbatical time shows that they value him as an individual but also that he's got a high place of standing this is a man who is wealthy but wants to go deeper in his knowledge of God he's seeking but what will he find he's only got to find it if he looks and we are like that too Are we people who are trying to go deeper in our walk with God? Are we reading and grappling with what it means for who we are? Here's someone of deep faith. Get open to discover what new thing God wants to say to them. To journey with God, we need to be humble and know that we've not got all the answers yet and that we won't get all the answers despite this man's status he's ready to acknowledge he doesn't understand it and the person of faith needs humility returning to Philip Look how he approaches the traveller. He runs along. He's called by God to be there. He wants to be there. But he's trying to keep up with the chariot. I don't fancy that at all. You know, I'm not sure how far I could run at the pace of a chariot and then start a conversation with the person inside it. Hello, how are you? What are you reading? Do you understand it? You know, I think it'd be slightly out of puff. But he goes close. And he sees the person there and he simply wants to share God's word. It's a different person, completely different person from those who had been in the crowd in Samaria. This is somebody from Ethiopia. He's got to be of being a black African. Um, completely different heritage. But that's not of issue. He simply obeys the Lord. He just wants to treat that person as a potential sister or brother in Christ. 
and wants to come close to them. And he follows the way of the Lord and he comes close and he asks a question that opens conversation. It allows the opportunity of evangelism. And it allows that opportunity to come by invitation of the non-believer. It's not, I know the answers and I'm going to tell you what it is. He starts by saying, you know, do you understand? How can I help you? He too brings a certain humility to the situation. Yes, he does have the answer. He is able to explain it. But the way he approaches, he allows the Ethiopian to give the invitation, to give Philip a license to share the gospel. And it prevents any accusation of force or of being too pushy. but yet allows the evangelist to share what the heart compels him to say. And we can open such doors when we ask simple questions of how the person is, whether all is well. And when it's not, can we offer assistance? We can offer to pray. We can offer something of the wisdom that we know. We've all received the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, of all people. But how we conduct ourselves in that impacts our effectiveness. If we do not model the love of Jesus as we share our faith, then it will turn people from the church rather than bring them in. When Jesus earlier sends out the disciples to the villages to proclaim uh, the kingdom, to bring uh, healing, um, to cast out spirits, his friends needed to know that there would be times that they might have to shake dust from their feet. There would be times that they would not be made welcome. There would be times that it would be too much of a challenge rather than continually calling and not getting an answer. They have to move on. We don't actually hear how many villages rejected the disciples, how many homes turned them away. But the instruction goes that it's not plain sailing. Sharing our faith is not an assurance that that person is going to convert or grow but we seek to touch and bring hope and bring love and Philip takes the scripture he does that he opens it he starts with where the person is not trying to start from a different place he starts with that piece of scripture 
and then takes it a bit further. He starts where the person is and we start where the people are. And he explains that the concept of Christ as the suffering servant, the sacrificial lamb. And we know that it's clear in the Gospels that the disciples hadn't grasped that before the actual time of the Passover where Christ became the Lamb. The people of the first century did not understand that the Messiah would die and that through his passion that salvation would come. Such a reading of the prophets was just simply not there in the understanding of the people. It might seem obvious to us we have another couple of thousand years later and we've always kind of read it that way as Paul would later tell the church in Corinth the cross seems foolish to the lost but it is the power of God to those who are being saved And as the Ethiopian official hears the story of God's love, as he comes to understand the story of the cross, not being foolishness, but of being great power, his heart is moved. And there's an immediate, this is it. I believe. Chariot stopped. Why don't we get baptized now? The man was humble. He knew what he must do. May we too know the joy that comes in the Lord. And be like that, Eurek, travelling onwards, rejoicing, delighting, having hope. May we travel onwards proclaiming in an effective way the good news that Christ died, that we may be forgiven and know new life. I need to pause and think again of sheep. Are you a sheep that simply follows the herd out the gate looking for the green grass? Or are you a sheep that is part of the flock of Jesus? A sheep that is Gentle and calm, and one that remembers that sheep that was led to the slaughter, the lamb who before the shearer is silent, and how we can mirror that in our life as we share the story of our faith.